This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. exploratory starship inside the Odyssean Pass and Podfleet Command. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. We're so glad you're here. It's um, episode number 179. And boy, do we have a great conversation on tap for you all tonight. We're excited to get into it. And of course, by we, I do mean my podcast partner and I, he who clearly has a face for podcasting and well, so many of you at Star Trek Las Vegas who haven't met him yet are going to be insanely disappointed. So I just, I, I tell you that to temper yourselves so that you're not just stunned by how hideously ugly he is. He's the, um, well, I just turn and look away, but it's, he's Dan Davidson. Dan, um, I'm not looking at you now, buddy. Um, I just want you to know it's out of respect. Medusin, maybe. Oh, yeah, totally. Huh? I'm going crazy right now. Yeah, you've been crazy for a long time. Hey, buddy, it's good to be here. Episode 179. That's nuts. We're closing in on 200, baby. Yeah, we like, are later this year. I like that. That's pretty cool. It's great to be here. Like you said, uh, uh, episode 179, we got a great discussion uh, for this uh, week's episode. We're very excited. We're going to be uh, talking Star Trek novels this week. As as everyone knows, I love the Star Trek novels. I've been reading them for a long time. Bill, you've been picking up a few here and there uh, over the course of time. And we thought it'd be great now that there is... Uh, for a long time, there weren't any um, Star Trek The Next Generation novels coming out over the past couple of years, but now we finally have one, and it's called Available Lights. We said, hey, let's get that guy on the show. You know I'm going to say it, Bill. I'm going to say it right now. He is a New York Times bestselling author. He is Mr. Dayton Ward. He's going to be here right here on Trek Geeks to talk about Available Light, and we are very excited because he is so fun to talk to. He truly is. We had him once on a theater skip it, and he had the unenviable task of reining us in, which <laughs> I don't know how he did it, but you know, it was such a, a great conversation. Then we had him again on Discovering Trek to talk about uh, his Discovery tie-in novel. So it's great that the next-gen novels are back. We had a great discussion last week with regard to the inner light and so much great feedback with regard to that episode. And uh, this week is we're going to carry the next-gen train forward as we talk about the new novel and i'm i'm very excited about it i finished it 
uh, just last week, and it was a fantastic read. Yeah, it really was. Uh, all of Dayton's books have been great. And one thing that that uh, I, I'm going to have to mention to Dayton because uh, I, I didn't get the chance to say anything to him during our conversation is I talked about what my favorite novels are, uh, Imzadi and uh, and David Mack's uh, Shadows of Empire. Uh, uh, I, I can't think of the title off the top of my head because I've got Dayton's in my mind. But Sorrows this, of the Empire? Sorrows of Empire, thank you. Um, Headlong Flight. After my first read is probably my third favorite Star Trek novel. So I'm sure after my next read, it's going to be, it could be hurtling over a couple of those. So uh, he's a fantastic author and it's just great to be able to talk to him. I read Headlong Flight on a cruise and it quickly became one of my all-time favorite books. Um, And I was just grateful to get uh, my copy signed. So Yes, you did um, get it signed. Yeah, I'm very happy about that. But uh, so we want to warn people ahead of that discussion that if you haven't yet read the novel and don't want anything spoiled, then pause this podcast right now. Right. Um, because we are going to talk about details that are in the book. Um, if it doesn't matter to you, then then press on. But we're going to talk about some key plot points in Available Light, uh, the new Star Trek The Next Generation novel from Dayton Ward. So um, please be advised that that's going to happen and take precautions. Dan, the other thing we want you to do mm. is to tell people how they can tell us about what they thought of Available Light. Absolutely. It's very easy to get in touch with us. Just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and you will find a plethora of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message. Why do that though? Just click on that big blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mellifluous voice using SpeakPipe. And hey, don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,400 other friends to talk all things Trek. It is the place on social media where the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. Plus, if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks podcast network, you're going to see them first right over there at Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. Quadrant. Wow. Quadrant. Quadrant, Bill. Quadrant. That was very jipper ostentatious. Thank you. you. I uh, that see, you get a gold star now. To join the group, head right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kinnimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan for the amazing job they do running the camp. But please remember that any comments or messages you leave in any of these places may be used in a future episode as I drink my jipper on a beach, Bill. <laughs> uh, I have no follow-up to that. That was perfect. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Trek, yo. Whoa. The hell was that? A little warp in the record. Keep going. Okay. It's treknews.net. You kind of petered out there at the end. Whew, sorry. You okay? Da, 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 there we go. Online at treknews.net. You, you need to take a breath. You need some oxygen. I need a sip of my martini. Hold on. Nebulizer, perhaps? 
<laughs> I was waiting for you to spit that out. <laughs> no, no, no. That doesn't happen around here. <laughs> no, no. That would never happen. Dan, first up, uh, our friends at Fansets have been coming out with some pretty awesome pins over the last few years. But um, nothing this big, literally. Yeah, I think huge is a better word for this one, man. Yes, Fansets has made a one-of-a-kind special pin, which will benefit William Shatner's silent auction. Mr. Shatner has commissioned this eight-inch pin, Bill, eight-inch pin for this auction. That is huge. It features two versions of Captain Kirk on a silhouette of a horse's head, a nod, of course, to Mr. Shatner's love of horses, as well as the USS Enterprise at the bottom of the pin with the words, to boldly go where no one has gone before. On the back of the pin, horsecharity.org. William Shatner exclusive will be engraved. And in addition, Mr. Shatner will be autographing the front of this pin, making it truly unique and priceless for any fan who collects things like this. For more details on this amazing plaque size pin, as well as info on the auction itself, please head on over to silentauctionpro.com. Bidding for the pin will end on June 2nd, 2019. And Bill, as we record this, the highest bid really isn't all that high right now, so someone could really walk away with this at a low price, still benefiting the charity, but having a great collector's piece for all time. We'll make sure the exact link is in the show notes because silentauctionpro.com doesn't take you to the right place. It takes you to the default site. My apologies. So, no, that's okay because you would think that you'd be able to link to it from there, but hmm. we'll make sure that link is in the show notes. But um, So eight inches in diameter. Um, that's the size of a small plate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some of the pins that we've seen with Discovery have been two inches, and those are giant. This is four times that big. That's uh, that's pretty good. See, math isn't all that hard when you really think about it. <laughs> you don't want to use this as a plate, though, because we've seen the design. It's beautiful. Um, it's officially licensed by CBS, which makes it even better. Um, and plus, I mean, it's it's w- literally one of a kind. Right. Only one is being made. Uh, Mr. Shatner's going to sign it, and that is the only one. The mold will be destroyed. There won't be another one made anytime ever in history going forward. So you're not going to be able to like jump on Discovery and go back in time or forward in time a thousand years and find another one. This is it, and uh, it looks like it's uh, it's uh, like I said. There's some uh, there's some low bids right now, so you can go over to that site, put in a bid, and uh, you may have yourself a giant William Shatner signed pin. That would be fantastic. You know, William Shatner does this, you know, charity horse show every year. And uh, this is uh, just such a truly awesome collectible. Like Dan said, go out there and make a bid because you got to stand a really good chance of bringing this thing home. So also, Dan, speaking of uh, great things in the world, uh, the folks up in Ticonderoga, New York, have a special announcement regarding the official Star Trek original series set tour. Boy, that's a mouthful. That is. And... We're looking forward to that happening, but we have no idea what it's going to be yet. Yeah, we really don't. As this episode drops, our episode of Trek Geeks, it'll be Tuesday, May 28th. And on that same day, the folks up at the set tour will be making a huge announcement regarding a special visitor. Now, we don't know who it is, but we want everyone to keep their Vulcan ears and eyes open for this announcement because we do know that it's going to be a big name. Um, so this is really, really something. They've been having some great names there. I believe they just announced recently that Terry Farrell is going to be up there, which I think is great. Um, we will, of course, update everyone next week with the name and the dates of the visit to the set tour. And Bill, you and I have had a discussion. We kind of have our thoughts on who this might be. And if it is who we think, 
we might be driving a Ticonderoga for this one. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was looking back at uh, a couple years ago at STLV when they were going getting ready to announce their hundredth guest, and they had this big sort of mystery uh, silhouetted, you know, question mark. Uh, about who the, who could the guest be? And we had our guesses at the time. And it turned out that it was Sonequa Martin-Green. Mm-hmm. And they used that same exact graphic for the mystery guest for the Star Trek set tour in Ticonderoga. So hmm. my theory, and this I could be wrong, I'll freely admit it if I'm wrong, is I think that Sonequa is going to make an appearance in Ticonderoga. It could happen. Could happen. I'll tell you what, that would be that would be a big a big thing uh, for the folks up in Ticonderoga. They have done a great job of getting people like Mr. Shatner. And, and I think they had a couple of the doctors from the series on, uh, was it uh, Carl Urban? Mm -hmm. Um, And who else was there with him? I I forget who it was. Was it, was it Gates? I think it was Gates. Okay. So yeah, they've had, they've had different generations of Trek shows show up at the set tour. And, um, you know, it's only a few hours drive for us. So, you know, depending on scheduling and and who it is, if it is Sonequa, as, as you're surmising, um, that might be something that we might just have to do, man. Uh, cause it would be, it would be pretty cool. It'd be really great to have her sitting there in the captain's chair. If that's who it is. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It would be, but you know, still then the, the Star Trek original series set tour up in upstate New York it is a fantastic destination. It's officially, again, officially licensed by CBS. It uh, it is an you know an official attraction that you can buy tickets to. You can sit in the captain's chair. You can look at Spock's viewer on the bridge. You can stand on the transporter pad. It it is a tour unlike any other, which is pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing, and and uh, we've we've um, we've heard of we've heard from folks that have been to it and have really really liked it our friend superoff was just there last week and had a fantastic time she had some great pictures on facebook so i think it's definitely something that we're going to have to do and maybe who knows maybe we can do a uh, a live um away mission trek geek spectacular mundo uh, while we're out there What's a spectacular mundo? I don't know. I was, Happy Days was on the other day, so it just kind of popped into my head. <laughs> <laughs> so and just to wrap things up, so looking at the pin from the Shatner auction, the mm-hmm. Phantom pin, it is right now, the current bid is $160. That's pretty amazing. Can you do me a favor since you're on the site right now and yeah. and, and while, we're, while we're talking about this? I said that it says to boldly go where no one has gone before. Is that what it says or does it say where no man has gone before? It says we're no man. It uses we're no man. My from the original series. Yep. Uh, that's what I thought when I when I read my my uh, my copy here. I'm like that doesn't sound like the right one. So I just wanted to clarify. So yeah, where no man has gone before. So yeah, hundred sixty dollars. Again, the link will be in the show notes if you're interested in checking it out. As we record this on Sunday, May twenty seventh, there are only five days and nineteen hours left in the bidding. So you got to get on this one. And I got to say, that's pretty amazing because I believe even though this is considered a priceless artifact because, or artifact, but because Mr. Shatton will be signing it, I think the value of this pin is upwards of a thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. From every, especially just from it being a single molded pin, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing. So go bid on this thing. Let's raise some money for a great charity. So Dan, it's that favorite part of the show. We were just talking about fan sets a second ago, and um, we got a lot going on in the next uh, several weeks in the run up to the fan sets fan geeks 2019 party at Smoked at the Forum Shops at Caesar's Palace, Las Vegas. 
once again, dude, we are right on the Las Vegas strip mm-hmm. hosting the only Star Trek party on the strip. And uh, it's going to be a fantastic time. It's going to be a fantastic time. And I got to say, one of the things that I love so much about this event is Lou and John and everybody that is over at Fansets, they love Star Trek as much as we do. And they show that love by giving things to the fans at this party. The amount of things that they have to give away through the various ways that we do it, whether it's raffle tickets or or whatnot, is truly amazing. The last two years, we have been stunned at what folks have walked away with after the Fan Geeks party. And this year is going to blow all of that out of the water. And I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun watching the people's reactions when their numbers called on those raffle ticket is priceless. And uh, I'm really looking forward to a great party with a great group of friends. Just today, we did a Facebook live video for Camp Kettimer that we've since shared out to other places, um, debuting the signature cocktail for this party designed by the official Trek Geeks mixologist, Brooke Horton, and it is Jippers on a Beach. And I got to say, man, it was pretty tasty. It was very, the only thing we were missing, as you said, was a beach. It we was. Didn't, we didn't have a beach. If we did, if we had a beach, I wouldn't be sitting right here in this in this recording studio talking to you. I'd be on the beach sipping Jippers, baby. Somewhere. Sipping. Chippers. So uh, there's also going to be a non-alcoholic beverage as well as possibly one other one. So there'll be a selection. And, you know, if you don't drink alcohol, which, you know, we, we understand, I mean, not everybody does. We wanted to have an option for those folks as well. Um, plus we're going to make an announcement this week via Trek Geeks uh, on our social media on how to get tickets for this party. So there are going to be a hundred tickets uh, issued. They are free. But, you know, in order to comply with Las Vegas fire code and the rules set forth by Caesar's Palace, uh, we do have to ticket this event now. So we're not trying to exclude anyone, but we do have to, uh, we got to follow the rules and we're trying to do that as, as best as possible. So 100 tickets are going to be re- uh, released online at some point this week. And um, after that, there will be another set of tickets that will be given away and some at the fansets booth during the con and there's, there's going to be plenty of, of opportunities to get tickets. So if you don't get them right away, don't panic. Absolutely. And, and of course, as Bill just mentioned, there's going to be tickets available at the fan sets booth at STLD. And one of the things that you're going to want to check out at the fan sets booth is the amazing collectible that they're going to have this year. Of course, they've come out with the deep space nine collectors, uh, series last year they've had the tng 30 series and the captain series during the 50th anniversary this year as we've talked about before is going to be the women of trek series they're gorgeous pins bill and i actually saw what we believe is going to be the final art for this initial set of pins that's going to be available at stlv and i say the initial set because this series is going to continue through the year we're going to have other pins that are going to be available for the women of star trek collection and we've got something that we're very excited about in the next couple of weeks we're going to have a poll that we're going to put out either on twitter or on facebook in camp kittimer and we are going to ask you folks to pick your favorite one-off female character that has appeared in star trek over the course of the original series all the way up through discovery and the the ones that's the that gets the most votes and the one that's the most popular is going to be a pin that they are going to make at fansets and is going to be part of this collection and that's pretty cool you have the chance to make history with fansets pins i that is just amazing to me that you know they're going to put it to a vote and and we got to say on what the next pin is in the series um i i can't wait to collect every single pin in this series and i can't wait to see what star trek fans 
vote as the next one. I think that's the most exciting part. Yeah, it's going to be pretty awesome. And and in addition to the women of Star Trek pins, of course, it's almost a new month. It's only a few days away. So look for Fansets' new pins coming out on June 1st. You're going to be able to pick up Mr. Jake Sisko. And then on June 15th, Malcolm Reed from Enterprise is also going to be available for the month of June. So two great characters from two different Star Trek series to add to the collection. My collection, I just placed an order last week. I didn't tell you, I ordered like six pins the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know if Jake Sisko is wearing uh, fabric from Lou's couch. Um, I think that we can probably make that happen. <laughs> and of course, as always, as a special bonus to Trek Geeks listeners, if you want to get 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week, again, even if you order non-Star Trek stuff or accessories or what have you, simply enter the word Dayton at checkout. That's D-A-Y-T-O-N, all caps, no spaces. And this bonus code is going to be available until Tuesday, June 4th at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets. We are Star Trek, and we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. So if you love Star Trek novels like I do, you've been waiting for a while for us to have a, a new next generation novel come down the pike. And we've had a few discovery novels over the course of the last year and a half or so, but it's been a while since we've actually um, been reading about uh, Star Trek The Next Generation and the adventures of the Enterprise E. Well, the wait is over, folks, because available now is the novel Available Light by Mr. Dayton Ward. And we just happen to have the New York Times bestselling author here with us right now on Trek Geeks to talk about Available Light, Section 31, all kinds of bad stuff, new aliens, all kinds of great stuff. How you doing, Dayton? I'm doing fine. I'm going <laughs> to guess that from that intro that nobody else accepted your invite to come on the show and you got all the way down the list ah oh, dayton all right well he'll do it. <laughs> busted he's a, pod, he's a podcast whore he'll come on <laughs> <laughs> well so is dan that's that's, that's you know, yeah. pretty no, no 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 i'm 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 the the pimp podcast pimp oh I bring, sorry i bring the people in now it's it's great to have you with us again dayton we've had great conversations with you in the past and and um now that this is uh this novel is available to read and it's a great read and with all the other news about picard and everything like that we thought it'd be a great time to have you come on and discuss uh your whole process for this novel what it's about what kind of ideas you've had and and things going forward so thanks for being with us again well thanks for having me it's always fun talking to you guys well we did not pay him to say that at all that's amazing no, that was an unsolicited <laughs> praise yeah yeah I know. he, he offered that up that's uh <laughs> that's what years of torture does to a man ladies and gentlemen you get um, one <laughs> yeah, all the rest we got to pay for. Yeah. Um, so uh, last time we, we talked to you, it was over on Discovering Trek, and we talked about one of your Discovery tie-in novels. And um, it, it occurred to me after we, we got off the recording with you that, you know, I, I was curious mainly as to what Star Trek novels inspired you either as a fan or to become a writer. Oh, man, that's a long conversation, isn't it? Um, we talked about that. <laughs> Didn't we talk about that on Facebook or something one day? I forget. But um, I've been reading. Uh, I don't Trek. remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. But I've been reading Star Trek novels 
for as long as there have been Star Trek novels, pretty much. Um, I mean, I go back because we've talked before. I'm old. So I, I read Star Trek novels in the 70s when they were very sporadic and published mm-hmm. by Bantam Books. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, of course, novelizations of the episodes from the original show and the animated show. And then uh, Pocket picked up the license. Uh, you know, they got it in 1978 or 79, and it, and it actually overlapped with Bantam for about a year, which is why there was the novelization for the motion picture. And then there was this gap for like a year before the first original Trek novel by Pocket was published. Because Bantam had to run out their clock. Um, so the Entropy Effect, that's the very first novel written by Vonda McIntyre. And I still, to this day, consider that one of the best Star Trek novels ever written. I mean, number one right out of the gate for Pocket. And so I've been reading them pretty much from the jump with Pocket. You know, I mean, even be even and before that, the Bantam books. So there's a bunch of them that have inspired me over the years. I mean, God, we could talk about this all night. Well, that may be its own episode of Trek Geeks. <laughs> it could be. Dayton's favorite reads, oh the Trek Geeks God, Book yeah. Club. <laughs> I mean, Wounded Sky, um, The Yesterday, Sun, and Time for oh, Yesterday. Yeah. Um, and then there's some guilty pleasures. I mean, like, they may not be the best Star Trek novels, but they're still my favorites, or they're still favorites for one reason or another. But I, mean, I also love stuff like Greg Cox's Khan books. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Federation. Uh, and I, it pains me to have to say his name out loud, but I really do. Will, I will throw Keith to Canada a bone that <laughs> I that I love uh, articles of the Federation. And then there's pretty much anything David Mack writes. Oh yes, well <laughs> that bastard makes me mad. No. It, it, it's funny that you say that because for years and years, Amzadi was my favorite Star Trek uh, novel of all time. I've read that novel probably a dozen times. But then the Sorrows of Empire came out, and that has has leapfrogged over in Zadi. Uh, I, I, I love the mirror universe. Uh, I love the story of, of what would have happened after our Kirk went back uh, to our universe. Um, and, in and he is, he is great. And actually one of the first questions that I was going to ask you tonight in regards to available light Dayton deals with David Mack. Of course, he came out with the novel control and your book has a lot to do with the effects of what took place in that novel. So my question for you is, do you guys, do you, and did you and David have discussions before his book came out after his book came out or during while he was writing it and while you were writing yours as to how these were going to tie in and how did those conversations go? Yes, <laughs> we had all of those conversations. Um, what happened was, um, and it's, I think it's probably in my contract now that every so often I get called in to write a book after David Mack writes a book, that <laughs> whatever mess David Mack has left in his irrelevance. <laughs> and uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, I was writing a book that came out a couple of years ago called Hearts and Minds, which is also a next generation novel. Um, and during the course of writing that book, I became aware of what Dave was doing uh, with control and what he was going to do with, you know, certain characters in general and Picard in particular. <laughs> and so that gave me pause because I had to go back and kind of to think about how I wanted to address it because his book was coming out right before mine. It had been slotted to come out the month before me. Mm-hmm. So I, the idea that I would write a next generation novel and not acknowledge what he had done, even though it wasn't that he, even though he's not writing a next generation novel and I am the fact that he brings Picard into play at the very end of his book, I could not in good conscience allow that to go. 
unanswered, right? I couldn't, I couldn't leave people wondering what the heck was that about. And that was before we got into all the issues with the licensing agreement going into hiatus and all of that kind of stuff. Um, this was just, you know, good, good, good stewardship of the novel line being worked on here. Um, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think one of the things that impresses me most about the book, uh, because it's been a long time since I've actually read a, a non-discovery book, for example. I mean, I, I used to read it pretty hardcore, probably about 15, 20 years ago. And then, you know, life gets in the way and you don't read as much. And so I, I use this book sort of as my foray back into uh, into reading. And at first, before I, I cracked the cover, I was only slightly intimidated because I knew of that lineage to... Uh, the David Mack book. But then I got into it and I realized, well, you know, I, I don't, uh, although I, I should read the book and at some point I will go back and, and read the, the one that preceded it. I didn't necessarily have to have every single last bit of that knowledge to enjoy this story. And I think that was one of the things that, uh, that impressed me the most. Oh, thank you. No. So, t- but in tying into that, you know, once I found out what Dave was doing, I, I called my editor and we talked about how I could work that into the book I had already started writing. And, you know, I already had a plot laid out. I already had, um, I was well into writing the manuscript. So it, it was way beyond the, you know, point of no return in terms of starting over. So we worked out an idea where I would be able to basically go with the notion that my book was taking place largely at the same time as the events in his book. And then I would acknowledge the news about Picard and, and section 31 at the end of mine. And that would buy us a little time uh, for Dave and I to work out what we were going to do next, because what he had laid out there, and I don't want to spoil anything because I know people haven't read the book yet. Are we going to get to a point in the show where we say spoiler alert? Or uh, actually, spoiler we'll, alert? we'll have given the spoiler alert uh, in the intro to okay. this that, that we record later. Oh, yeah. good. So I can spoil everything. Okay. Yeah, spoiler alert, all, baby. Yeah. Well, no, so, you know, so the idea of Picard being implicated uh, for what happened uh, with the president and all in Section 31 you know, that's not something that you want to wrap up at the end of a book or even even in a single book. To, uh, to me, that was just something so meaty that we had to have a very long and engaged conversation about where this goes next. So hearts and minds, when I retooled the ending of that book, that was to kind of buy us a little time so we could attack it, you know, as its own storyline. And then th- what I did not know was going to happen was the delay in getting back to writing novels because of the licensing agreement. The licensing uh, agreement with Pocketbooks between Pocketbooks and CBS expired at the end of 2017 uh, and then took a very extended period to be renewed for all sorts of factors. It's nobody's fault. It's just business. You know, things get lost in the shuffle and changes in leadership and changes in editorial uh, leadership at Pocketbooks. And that just drug what should have been a fairly straightforward process out a little bit longer than normal. So it, it was an extended period and discovery was its own thing at that point. Um, discovery books were kind of written as an addendum to a license or, an, a, you know, whatever they call it, a modification to a license so that they could mm-hmm. be done to help tie into the new show. But as far as everything else, they were, they were in limbo for quite a while. In fact, uh, that all did not get resolved until what late last year, middle of last year. So I didn't actually oh, wow. start. I didn't start writing available light until the summer of 2018. So that's over. That's over a year after Hearts and Minds was published. So that's the and that's not normally. That's not normal. Like normal, I go from one book to the next. Like I'll turn in a book, and then about a month later, I'll start outlining a new book for wherever my next book is going to take. You know, slot into the, to the next year's schedule. That was a very unusual set of circumstances. So anyway. <laughs> 
so with that in mind and the fact that this was going to be the first new novel out of the gate under the new license for next gen uh i had to go back and rethink how i was going to reintroduce what all went on with section 31 and control and what happened in hearts and minds and and then go from there so that's that's a lot of why what you see is at the beginning of available light i'm resetting the stage a little bit it's a great it's a great stage reset. One question that I have for you in regards to the whole section thirty one storyline of this part, because it's kind of like two stories in this in this novel, um, is the time of the release of this book and the events of Discovery season two. There's a lot of things that are kind of similar. And uh, okay, because I because I'm not good at reading and I'm not good at math. How do you pronounce the section thirty one computer system in the book? Uri <laughs> Yeah, that's close enough. Uriai? Uriai? Yeah. Okay. Uriai is how I pronounce it personally, but I don't. Okay. Really, I honestly don't know. Um, okay, Uriai. I'll go have, with the Uriai. I have to. It's actually I have a pronunciation guide that I had for the audiobook, and I forgot what they said. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you because I actually listened to the audiobook, and it was Uriai. Okay. Oh, there okay. You go. Good. So your AI. Yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> See what I did? See what we did there? No. <laughs> um, so as if. As far as the parallels between control in Dave's book and control in Discovery, I honestly don't know whether the folks who were writing the show took any inspiration from the book beyond uh-huh. the name or what. But, I mean, if you've read the book and you've watched the show, you know that it's really not – they're not compatible depictions right. of what right. we're talking about. Yeah. Right. And um, Discovery's depiction of it is a little more contained – a little more restrained mm-hmm. in terms of its scope of operation versus what Dave postulates in the book. Yes. I think Dave's version is actually like a billion times scarier. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, absolutely. <laughs> um, but the version in, on discovery works very well for the story they were telling. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, and as far as I had, and here's the thing, when I was writing drastic measures, my discovery novel, I was very keyed into everything that was going on in season one of discovery. Like before mm-hmm. the show aired, I had access to all the production materials and stuff. I did not have any of that for section two because our series or season two, because I was not doing anything discovery related. Gotcha. So I got to watch season two, just like everybody else and have a good time and be surprised at all the plot twists and whatnot. That's going to be a disappointing thing when you're involved with, uh, with a show and not to go off on a tangent for too long, but with season one, you didn't get to see any of those surprises like we all did. You had, you knew about them ahead of time and you read about them. It must have been really great for you to be able to do that this year like the rest of us and watch it all as it unfolded. Yeah, it was fun to just watch it yeah. like a regular person. Yeah, In fact, it was compounded during the season one because I knew what was going on, but my wife and Kevin mm-hmm. and other people who knew that I was doing this book – you know, they didn't want to be spoiled by anything. I even asked yeah. them, I said, you want to know what's going on? No. Okay, I'm not going to tell you. And then <laughs> at, the, at the end of every episode, my wife would look at me, as because we watch it, you know, when it dropped every week. And mm-hmm. she looked at me, she goes, you knew that was going to happen, didn't you? And I said, yeah. And she said, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> because you asked me not to. And then she smacked me. You're not supposed to do that. I'm like, I, I, what? You want, you're okay with me not listening to you now? Okay, great. Good note. <laughs> Good note. So, no, it was really – it was fun because I really did enjoy season two. Yeah. Uh, I think I liked it more than season one. I did. Um, I definitely love Pike. He's – Anson Mount's portrayal of Pike is probably one of my favorite depictions of a Trek captain yet. Absolutely. Agreed. I think we're all on the same page with that one. So it was fun to watch all that. And I got to be all fanboyish about the way the Enterprise looked and, Mm -hmm. you know, know, uh, dance around. I mean, I love the way the bridge looked. All I can think of was, man – I. I'd like to think Matt Jeffries, that's what he would have done 
if he had the money and the technology and the resources available to, to realize something like right. that. He would have done. Yeah. yeah. So absolutely. I think that uh, the in available light, uh, there's uh, to me, there, there's sort of two different types of storytelling. There's the very episodic nature of the mission. The enterprise is on the Odyssean pass. And then there's the very serialized nature of the section 31 investigation. I think there are two sort of storylines that play very well off each other, especially for what it means for Picard. Um, how did you draw inspiration for this story? Is this an idea you had for a long time with regard to the Najamri or it, did it just sort of come to you during the, uh, the hiatus? Uh, I, I had a the general idea in a file, like just like a one page of notes that I may have jotted down. And I, I think I may have even borrowed parts of it from uh, a few story springboards that I wrote or Kevin and I wrote years ago for other novel projects that never came to pass or other projects that never happened. Like I know I wrote story springboards for a couple of comic series ideas for Star Trek for IDW that never happened. And I had a couple of springboards that we wrote for what were going to be Star Trek Seekers um, novels that never happened. And I just kept all that stuff in a file. So when I, when the time came to come up with another next gen, it, because the reason there's a or like an adventure of the week type storyline for Picard and the gang is because my editor asked for that. But, okay. Uh, because she wasn't ready for me to pull Picard back to Earth just yet. You know, we wanted to have this simmer a little bit and get things you know roiling really good before we pull him back into that mix. And so that was the idea for that. And then of course, but she let me play with the other scenes on Earth or back in the Federation territory where you know you've got um Lavoie and Riker and uh the admiral the, you know Akar and all these guys are talking about the fallout from or dealing with the fallout from section 31 while Picard is off doing Picard and Enterprise things and you know there's the argument of is he guilty is he not guilty should we pull him back and, and you know grill him and all that kind of stuff so that that's why there are these two disparate story separate storylines going on uh and then I tie it up at the end one of the things I like about your writings, Dayton, is your ability to bring characters back who we may have only seen once before. Um, Bill and I did an episode um, of Trek Geeks on Carbon Creek, and one of the questions I asked was, oh, my God, Mastral, he, you know, he's hanging around Earth. Do we ever see him again? And you actually sent me a message after you <laughs> listened to the podcast that I wrote a book with him. So I bought the book and read it, and it was fantastic. But you did the same thing in this book with Louvois. Was it something that you've always wanted to do, or when you came about with the ideas of this book, do you like, all right, I got to find a character to bring back, and you researched and found her, or was it someone that you always wanted to have come back into this, into the, uh, into the Star Trek universe? Uh, I actually brought her back in a previous book. Well, uh, there you go. <laughs> I brought her back in a book called Peaceable Kingdoms, which was the fifth book in a miniseries called The Fall, which came out in late. 2013 early 2014 oh, something like that okay and so i once for whatever reason you know I, like i said I, I end up being the bat up the cleanup batter on a lot of these things so that was what that that's what peaceable kingdoms was was the was the cleanup batter in that five book sequence okay uh, and so <laughs> philippe louvois plays uh, a small but very important role toward the end of that book and i just I was casting about for a character that needed to play this role. And I realized Lavoie, she's perfect. You know, she, we haven't seen her, but the one time, and as far as I know, it had never, she's never been revisited in novels or comics or anything else. So I just brought her back in and uh, it, 
it was sort of a spur of the moment thing. It wasn't part of the outline. It was during the writing of the book. Cause in the, my outline, it just says the, you know, the Federation attorney general comes in and arrests so-and-so. Right. Um, and I figured I would get to that. I would come up with a character or develop a character when I needed to get to that point. And so I was just kind of hit with inspiration to go look and pull up Lavoie. And after looking at her memory alpha, memory beta, and all the other different online references and realizing she has been tragically underused because she's a fantastic foil for Picard in mm-hmm. that episode, I decided, yeah, it's time to bring her back. Um, and so her appearance in this book is an outgrowth of that. Since I'd already established that she is playing this role, it was easy to just pick her up and slot her back into this storyline. Nice. Um one thing that I that I was shocked at, and I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this just happened!" was what happens with Admiral Ross. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know we saw his involvement in Section Thirty One and Deep Space Nine a little bit, and of course, everything that happens in these novels. And then he gets arrested. Have you have you received any backlash at all for for killing him off? I mean, I thought it was a it was a brilliant scene was awesome. and he actually it was kind of a heroic death when you think about it um has anybody come back and said oh my god i can't believe you killed off this character after everything you did on deep space nine there there are people who have asked me what the hell i was smoking when I did. <laughs> um, but and here's the thing is i that was not my original plan <laughs> i didn't have that in the outline i didn't have him getting killed I just oh, had wow. him be, i had him being interrogated and um, I also had a couple of other characters being interrogated who I ended up not writing those scenes because I didn't want to overplay that angle. Okay. Um, I, so I thought one good interrogation scene with one of the suspects is enough. And then one good, you know, try to try to escape from your would-be captor's scene or would-be arrester's scene is a good one. That's why Necheyev gets that cool action sequence at the beginning of the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I figured, you know, just a little bit. I didn't want to overplay a lot of that, but um, I was writing the scene and and it was kind of stalling out for me, and I couldn't. I just it was it wasn't that it wasn't working. I was just it wasn't it wasn't juicing me up. I was like, this needs something else. It needs something else to get me to close it out before I go back to the a plot. And then I'm I don't even remember how it came to me. I think I, I think I may have been cutting the grass because <laughs> I do that. I mean, if I, if I've decided I, I need a break from, from work, I will go do something around the house to kind of just let my brain work a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and it, it happens that I usually do it while I'm cutting the grass or washing the car or something. And I realized just kill the bastard. <laughs> and, and so then it became, well, how do I do it? So I ended up having to rewrite that scene in large part to introduce the security guard and the other elements mm-hmm. and to set it all up and then, and hopefully not telegraph the play um, of what's coming. Cause when I did it, I said, it well, wasn't. I don't want, Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I, I wanted it to be fast and I wanted it to be surprising and I wanted it to be brutal. Like just, I can't believe he just like almost make you turn the page back to go, what did I just miss? Uh, I just wanted uh, to, I, yeah. So that was, can I, can I just break in and say, I exactly did that. <laughs> okay. I, I really was, did. <laughs> I was driving in my car down route three into Northern Massachusetts and I'm listening to the audiobook. And in the car, when that happened, I screamed at the top of my lungs going, what the hell? <laughs> and I just it was it's one of my favorite scenes in the entire book. I thought you executed it really well. And no, it didn't telegraph at all. Well, thank you. Uh, and, I, and, and what happened was I got in once I decided I was going to do it and I was trying to figure out how to do it. I remembered I don't know if you've ever watched it, but the, 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 the Terminator TV show, the Terminator TV series of Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if 
you know, there's a character that they introduce. It's either late in the first season or very early in the second season, but he's Kyle Reese's brother. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so he hangs with them for a while. But then there's a sequence toward the end of the season. Maybe it's like the two-third mark or whatever, but they're they're dealing with somebody, and they encounter a Terminator. And then this Terminator, just without any warning or ceremony whatsoever, kills him. You don't see it coming. It just happens. Wow. And, and it's a matter-of-fact kind of thing, and the Terminator keeps walking. And I'm like, that's how I need to do it. I need Because I was like, wait a minute. What just happened? Uh, so I wanted that. I wanted that kind of wait what what did you just do i can't believe you just did that what the hell were you thinking that's yeah. what i wanted <laughs> the, the the interrogation part of that scene alone is is the stellar i mean when i was listening to it you know as robert petkoff was reading it you know it uh, it evoked for me you know a, a really really gritty procedural it, it, it there was a great play between louvois and ross you know with the other captain sitting there in the room sort of interjecting and occasionally putting her hand on on uh on ross's sleeve but i i really liked the interplay and i like how ross had just resigned himself to the fact that he's there um i it was for me it was one of the most effective scenes in the in that part and that storyline uh in the book i I really loved it thank you i i'm i'm a big fan of certain police procedural shows like homicide and the shield yeah the shield and i love the interrogation scenes in those types, not, 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 I don't, I'm not a law and order fan. I don't watch law and order and I don't watch yeah. some other ones, but I love the shield and I love homicide and I just love the scenes. And if you've ever watched homicide, they call the interrogation room, the box. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I love the scenes in the box, particularly if it's like Andre Brower, you know, it's Andre Brower's character in there or for the shield, anything with, you know, Michael Chiklis. So yeah. I love interrogation scenes. And then there's, if you've seen the shield, you know how the shield ends with where he confesses all his crimes yeah, to the ICE agent, I wanted to evoke a little bit of that because I just love that scene in the Shield. Yeah, I, I definitely got some of that. Yeah, I haven't seen the end yet, so thanks. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's been ten or twelve years, man. I, I, you know? I knew you were. I knew that was coming. Um, it, it's funny getting back to Ross for just a second. Uh, I mean, he 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 dies in what maybe the first quarter of the book. It's really not that long into it. But I gotta say, somewhere the scenes. The mark, I forget. Yeah, somewhere around there. But I gotta say, the scenes with him. I think might be my favorite ones of the whole book. I was a big fan of Ross during Deep Space Nine. You got to see that chink in the armor in the episode where they go to Romulus and then all the events that take place in, in control. But the beginning, just the very beginning where he's kind of at, was he at a bar? I think he was at the, a bar the or cafe. a restaurant. Like a, like an yeah, the cafe. cafe. Just that whole description of how you brought that whole in whole scene into play and how he casually goes under his vest to hit his his emergency transport and it just doesn't work and you and you can just kind of feel the despair that all of a sudden he knows that he's not going to be able to run awesomely awesomely done and what you are able to do a lot with your novels Dayton which I really love is when I'm reading them I can I visualize the actor I visualize the scenes and I'm probably way off in how I visualize how things look but a, a good writer allows the reader to have that visual visualization in their mind. And I thought that was perfect. Stop laughing. Cause I screwed up the word bill. I did correct myself. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it's fun to write that kind of stuff. I mean, now you, you're not as into the novels, you know? Uh, so you're not familiar with everything that has happened with characters like Ross you know, after right. the show's ended. So right. you know, the Ross that you're reading about 
is you know is not exactly the same Ross that you saw on Deep Space Nine. That he went through mm-hmm. a lot of other stuff in the books that inform this depiction of the character. So I mean, his Section Thirty One ties are a little more overt in 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 the some of the books. Yeah, and he's not uh, deeply in it. I mean, he's that's the, one of the other things. Like he's not. I don't know that he's. I don't know if the best way to describe him is as being like he's that. He's not so deeply into the organization. He's not like a completely buried soul or anything. But you know, he's definitely in enough. You know where, mm-hmm. where he's he can be held accountable, um, but that's the thing about Section Thirty One is do you really know? Do they really get everybody? You know, and that's kind of what I wanted to leave a little bit on the table was even though all this has been exposed, it's this is an organization that's been around for two hundred and something years, so they don't have a contingency for exposure. You just don't that, know, you know. That actually brings up a question: is is I'm I love the novels, but unfortunately, I haven't read a lot of the newer novels like you just referenced the ones with Ross and so forth does having this ongoing story i mean i remember reading about admiral um uh, Ak- uh akamar a, a long time ago uh, uh Ak- akar <laughs> akar thank you leonard james um, akar akar a long time ago in one of the i think maybe the first hardcover ds9 novel that came out years and years ago but you've got him you've got all these other things that are happening in different novels but they're all tying together is it difficult to try to tell a story for people that might not have read all of those to understand exactly what's going on i don't know if it's 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 a challenge and but for me the challenge is i approach every book i i write as though it is someone's first Okay. So, you know, the fact that you haven't read 15 years worth of ongoing storylines in, you know, it should not be an impediment to reading the book that you're holding in your hand. Mm-hmm. I mean, miniseries and trilogies and things like that are different. Those are meant to be read together or, you know, all all together. You're supposed yep. to we we want you to read all five books of the fall. We want yep. you to read all four right. books of the Typhon pack. But for something like this where I'm picking up the baton that's, you know, passed to me by the last writer to, you know in this case dave i don't know that you've read section 31 control mm-hmm. i don't know that you read the last next gen book that i wrote i don't know right. that you've read anything for all i know you saw star trek on the cover because you were at the airport and you were bored and you decided to grab it because it's a 16 hour flight to wherever you're going so that's my approach i always write them with the idea that you've never read any other star trek novel and that sometimes gets me in hot water with the people who read every book every month <laughs> but that group of people is as dedicated as they are. And as much as I love them, they're not the only audience. Right. So I have to, I have to, I'm always conscious of the new reader who's just coming on board. So in that sense, let, let's level set a couple of things because essentially that's me kind of all over again. I feel like a new reader, um, even though I'm not really, um, the enterprise E has been in the Odyssean pass for some time. It sounds like, um, what exactly is the Odyssean pass? The Odyssean pass is a largely unexplored area that's been charted by automated survey probes. You know, they send out these automated guys to, to map this, you know, do star mapping and, you know, take sensor readings of whatever's out there. And from there, Starfleet figures out a map of the region and they decide if it's an area worth sending a starship to go look at. And so the idea after the events of the the fall miniseries, which was a very politically driven miniseries, following on the steps of another politically <laughs> uh, politically heavy miniseries that I had taken part in, when asked to write 
another next gen novel after the fall, I, I pleaded <laughs> with the idea of can we please just go do an exploration story? I would really like to put Picard and the Enterprise back exploring again for a while. Yeah. And so with that granted, that wish granted, I set up after the, at the end of Peaceable Kingdoms, which is the end of the fall miniseries, I basically have Picard get a set issued a set of orders to go explore. Nice. Something. Like you, these are your orders. Like I don't even detail what it is on the on the chip that he's got because at the time I wrote that I didn't know I was going to be the next guy writing a next gen book. I just figured mm-hmm. it would be like normal. They would they would hand it off to some other writer, and I'd go back to writing whatever I was doing at the time, TOS or something. But then she comes right around and goes, "Okay, you're writing the first next gen book after the fall. What's it going to be?" I'm like, "Well, damn, that didn't work out at all." <laughs> so I created the Odyssean Pass, and I set them. I set the Enterprise on course for that, and it's like an eight week journey at high warp from from Federation space to the Odyssean Pass. And so I wrote a book called Armageddon Zero, which is the first book of that exploring that region of space. Um, okay. So there's been cool. actually, let's see, it's been Armageddon's Arrow, Headlong Flight, yep, Hearts and Minds, and Available Light. So I've written four of these where they're all in the Odyssean Pass. Oh. I remembered the reference from Headlong Flight, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but I still kind of you know because it's been a while since I've actually you know heard or, or picked up a book. It's, I had that, that sort of detachment. Now we also, you know, we're going to name check a few characters here because obviously Riker turns up in the book and he's an admiral. Um, Jordy is obviously still the, the chief engineer of the enterprise. And apparently Jordy's actually having a healthy relationship, which I think is a first in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's been, uh, they've been, he's this, uh, him and the and doctor, she, Dr. Tamala Harstad have been an item for a while now. She's not a hologram. She's not a hologram and she's not, yeah. And she's, yeah. And she's not somebody else's wife, you know? <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, way to go, Jordy. Um, yeah, I just, um, Picard being an admiral is an outgrowth of the fall miniseries. He's promoted during the events of that, uh, story. And cause at, uh, before that he was the captain of the Titan, which, you know, that, that happened at the end of the last next gen movie. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. The la- the end of the, the, the yeah, next gen movie. You know, the last time we're ever going to see the next generation character <laughs> on right. screen ever ever again honest, <laughs> right? And you know, knock yeah. So since the, what 2002 when the movie came out, uh, the books have been slowly, you know, building out the continuity in the post movie timeline. Uh, since then, I mean, we're talking since 2005. Wow, they've been building on this continuity. So a lot, some of these characters and some of these storylines go back that far, you know, because we were never ever going to see these guys on screen again. He says. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> wait, more wait. on that later. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, so that's where we are. So Pi- Picard, or I'm sorry, Riker was the captain of the Titan. Uh, he got promoted to admiral. Uh, Picard remained a captain because at the time I was like. He's following Kirk's advice from generations. Don't let him promote you. Don't let him take him off the ship. You know, stay there. You'll make a difference. So that was sort of our run and gun uh, idea for Picard was that he would stay captain of the Enterprise because he's to me he's the face of the next generation era yes. of the franchise. Right. Yes. Um, so for him not to be on the Enterprise, it's got to be called something else. It's not Star Trek: The Next Generation anymore. Uh, it's something else. And so for as long, so I kind of would jokingly say, as long as I'm writing, Picard's on the Enterprise. Uh, but as you can see, I got overruled by CBS. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, because that's just the way it rolls, you know. No, it's I mean that's fine. Um, 
so that's where we are with that with uh, those deals. And you know, Jordy, yes, he's having a stable relationship because it's nice to have Jordy win one for a change, right? Yeah. Um, let's see. Picard and Crusher are married, and they have a kid, which was I kind of picked up that ball. That that all was done before I came on to start writing next gen books. Uh, they were married, and she was pregnant, and then. My editor, Margaret Clark, she came to me years ago. I forget how many where, where we are now. But she said, I want you to write the first Picard book after they have the kid. We're going to bypass the whole childbirth, late night feedings thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. But she wanted me to write the first story with Picard as a father because at the time I was a fairly recent father myself. So she thought I could channel all that angst and, 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 and stress into, into a good storyline. So, well, speaking of angst and stress, this novel ends on kind of a cliffhanger and Picard is, is being sent home to answer for his quote unquote, unquote crimes. So what's happening next, man? Well, I mean, (laughs) it's important to know he's not being called back to, he's, he's made the decision to go back and Mm -hmm. answer for whatever. Right. Well, yeah. and I mean, it's, it's an important distinction because they were back home trying to figure out if there was a way to mitigate the damage and can right. we, can we insulate him? You know, he really did us a favor, and mm-hmm. if we really want to be honest with ourselves, he did he did us all a favor, that kind of thing. Yeah. And even the Klingons are like, "Yeah, that's the most Klingon thing any of you guys have ever done." Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so we wrestled with that for a while, but I I was I was adamant that. Picard would not allow someone else to take the fall for his actions. And he would not stand by and be given, you know, a pass while other people were taking the hit for this. So that mm-hmm. was to me very important that that happened. And as it happens, you know, Dave was being contracted to write a next gen novel. Um, so we discussed it and I said, I can bring the story to this point and basically leave it for you to go with, any way you want because oh, okay. you started this, so you should be the one to finish it. <laughs> um, basically, you know, you know, half jokingly, it's like, well, you're the one who made the mess. You should be able to clean it up. Yeah, and you, know, <laughs> and you know, Dave, that's the kind of stuff that Dave's does very well. So I'm looking forward to reading his book, which is called uh, Collateral Damage, and will be out, I think, in October. Nice. So I'm excited. I'm as excited as anybody because I don't know what he's got planned. I haven't read his outline or his manuscript yet. So. Oh, that's kind of interesting. So you had this collaboration for the for Control and and this one, but it's kind of in the dark for you too. It's, well, it's kind of yeah. like watching season two of Discovery for you. Well, I mean, it was it's it's part part deliberate. Like I kind of want to read it just like and enjoy mm-hmm. it. And part of it is just I haven't had time. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> been very busy, and you know, leisure reading is kind of a, a luxury right now. Right. Um, Speaking of time, Dayton, quick question. How long did it take you to write this novel, Available Light? I think I wrote it in, uh, I want to say four months, just under four months. Wow. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) But that's, you know, working full time on it because I didn't, you know, that's what I I do. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, If there was a while there last year where I was working, I was back to working a regular normal person's job for a while and then writing on the side, but... Sure. Um, that ended last spring, and then, so I basically had all the time I needed to write it. Okay. I could never write a novel because I would start off with the best of intent, and then I would start substituting names of aliens and planets like they were pharmaceutical names. <laughs> and it would go something like this, Captain's Log, we've arrived in orbit of the planet Zeljans. 
Well, you don't want to look at my manuscripts when I'm in process because if I need a name, I just put a bunch of letters together like A A A A A, and then I go back and do a global replace until because otherwise I'll sit there for a half an hour trying to come up with a name that sounds cool. Yeah. Instead of writing, it's like you know, it's like the tech. You know, like I, I need a, I need a funky name for a piece of technology, but I don't want to sit there and figure out how many syllables it has to be and all that. So I just write tech, you know, in big uppercase letters, and then I go back and scan through, try to find it, and um. And then replace buzzwords like that. Like I do that with alien names and planet names and <laughs> other things that I just don't like, don't want to spend a lot of time obsessing over because what will happen is I'll come up with a name in the heat of the moment and then I'll go back and change it anyway because I come up with something better. <laughs> so I just, so you're probably not going to use Flonase. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah not yeah. on purpose. Anyway. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. It's it's funny because you say four months and and I I think back back gosh twenty something years ago when Bill and I worked together uh, at a different company I actually started working on what I thought might be a fun novel and and it was like I got like uh, a half a chapter done and it took me like a year to do it and it was basically the story of Tasha when she was captured by the Romulans um, after the Enterprise incident. Uh, excuse me, after yesterday's enterprise and what happened to her and, and with the Romulan contour and everything. But so to hear four months to do a whole novel, it's like, wow, yeah, I'm never going to well, be an author. <laughs> well, don't forget, I'm also working from an outline. Um, I've, already, oh, true. I've, yeah. already, I've already done a month or so's worth of work building mm-hmm. a story with an outline. So by the time I sit down, by the time I get an approval on the outline and I get a green light, I know where the story is going to go in a general, okay. at least in a high level, broad sense. I haven't figured out every single scene and mm-hmm. I haven't figured out every little plot twist, but I've got the basic roadmap from start to finish. So I know where it's starting, and I know where I'm supposed to end up. And then I can – it's a guideline more than an actual rule, as they say. <laughs> Very uh, nice. <laughs> and what I've gotten into this – well, I mean, it helps that my editor, when she looks at my novel manuscript, she does not refer to the outline. She starts from scratch as though she's never seen the story before. So she doesn't go oh, back cool. and compare you know, I mean, something every once in a while will stick out. Like when I when I killed off Ross, she was like, "I don't remember reading that in the outline." But I was like, "Yeah, I thought I'd throw that in there. See how you like it." You know? <laughs> uh, stuff like that. But I mean, I can I, I don't want to say get away with it. I, I'm able to do stuff like that because I've been doing it long enough that I've got a really good rapport with my editors, and I've got a great rapport with the people at CBS Licensing. And mm-hmm. I know I'm not going to send anything that I think they're going to object to. Like I won't, I'm not going to write something that's out of character for Picard or Kirk or anything yeah. like that. They, I, I have a pretty good feel for what they, I have a good feel for their tolerance limits. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I don't give them a headache once in a while. <laughs> Cause I do. Um, <laughs> I mean, every once in a while I might throw something and be like, no, nah, hang on a second, young lad, let's have a talk about this. <laughs> um, but for the most part, I, I, I tend to stay within, you know, the prescribed, boundaries of what makes a good uh, makes a star trek story or what makes a star trek story they want to see i i, I mean I, it sounds corny but i really am very protective of, mm. of star trek even as a tie-in writer it's like you know it's it's there's some personal stake here because there's a lot of work involved in doing this stuff so you kind of get protective mm-hmm. of it i don't want to do anything to embarrass the brand or or sure. bring negative light to the brand well, and I think that shows, honestly, I mean, obviously, I mean, you know, we, I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. I mean, I, I think that if you look at the story of Available Light, there is a very Star Trek story at the core of this. 
um, you know, this, this whole bit within the Jamri and their vessel and how Teresa Chen essentially gets downloaded into their haven. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost a bit matrixy, but it, it's very much on a Star Trek level. And there's a fundamental, you know, we have to be better than, than who we think we are to help them. And I, I think it's something that really resonates through the story. I'm the whole time I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going through the book. I'm like, yeah, this is absolutely Star Trek. So I, I think that's something you should absolutely be proud of. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, I, I, that's how I look at Star Trek. Star Trek to me is the, the basic theme of Star Trek is for me, we're better than we were. We can be better than we are and how we get there. That's where the stories are told. Mm-hmm. And so that's, to, and to me, that is a broad enough framework that you can tell all kinds of different types of stories within that Star Trek framework. I think Star Trek's framework is so robust, it can handle a variety of storytelling approaches. So when somebody says, that's not a Star Trek story, that's not a Star Trek story, I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tend to take that with a grain of salt. I mean, I'll give it a look and see if there's any merit to that. But more often than not, it's just because somebody doesn't like this, that, or the other. And I'm like, well, that's fine, but that's, you know, then say that. Say you don't like this, that, or the other. Well, let's let's talk quickly about your favorite word, and that's canon. <laughs> <laughs> as as we record today, we kind of hinted at this a little bit a little while ago. As we record today, today is the 25th anniversary of the final episode of The Next Generation. And it also happens to be the first time we saw a teaser for the upcoming Star Trek Picard series. Now, my question to you is, as an author, and as someone who was so um, uh, um, kind of like is, is Star Trek is part of his life, just like a lot of our listeners and like Bill and I, would you like to see anything that you have written about over the course of the years with these new stories that have taken place in your novels kind of brought in and at least referenced a little bit? Uh, with the new series i know that they're not officially canon from from the eyes of cbs but that's got to be something that as a writer you would absolutely love to see when the show comes to light in 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 the six months or eight months uh you know if if, don't get me wrong if if i watched an episode of something and i caught a reference to something i knew i wrote in a book i'd I'd scream from the rooftops. You'd hear me. <laughs> um, do I expect that to happen? No, I don't really no. honestly. No, I mean, it's just, it's, and it's not, it's just, that's not how it works. Now, my personal wish list item is for HBO to get the rights to do Star Trek as a miniseries or, or CBS. Now the CBS all access is a thing. You know, I would love to see Vanguard, the Vanguard novels adapted for. Yeah. Something. Oh yeah. That would be one yeah. kick-ass miniseries, mm-hmm. um, but it'll never happen. Uh, yeah. It's a wishful, it's a bucket list item, but in my head, in my head canon, to use that word that I hate so much, uh, same here. is Vanguard absolutely happened within the framework of Star Trek. Um, that's just my personal as a fan thing. Will it ever show up on TV? No. Will they ever reference it on TV? No. Um, and I don't, hate, I don't hate the word canon. I hate the word canon being used as a weapon. Yes. To divide yeah. fans. That just mm-hmm. irritates me. It's like it's canon is basically a word that people who work on something like this use to acknowledge the material we're going to be remaining aware of when we write something new. Right. And for Star Trek, that's always been what's on TV and what's on your movie screens and nothing else. They have made no bones about that. They have always been upfront about that. There has never been this like Lucas film and, you know, a level canon and B level canon and soft canon and all that. They've never ever said anything other than straight up. 
If it's on the screen, it's canon. Mm-hmm. So I can't, I hate, I just, I have no use for these arguments that descend into anarchy when we talk about what is and isn't canon. The policy yes. is very straightforward. It's very simple. And it's got like less than 20 syllables. It's nothing hard about this process, but we still are arguing about it. And so like in prime canon and original canon and Kelvin canon and whatever the hell else canon, I'm just like, stop it. Exactly. <laughs> You're overcomplicating a very simple concept. I'm at a point in my fandom where I just want good stories told well. And, and to me, that's, that's all I care about. I mean, I don't care if it comes from comics. I don't care if it comes from novels. I don't care if it comes from uh, a game. You know, I, I want it to speak to Star Trek and I want it to be instantly recognizable. And the rest I figure is gray If there can be 37 different origin stories for Batman and they're all accepted, <laughs> right? then I, I'm okay with Star Trek. I, I've never actually sat down and done this, but one of these days I will sit down and write like my top 25 favorite Star Trek stories of all time or whatever. And it will be a mix of TV episodes and books and comics and other weird crap that I've come across over the years that resonates with me and continues to be what I list as a favorite. Like it is my, if I was a fan trying to introduce another fan of Star Trek, it would be this list of 25 things. I'll be like, okay, you need to watch these six episodes and these read these four books and read these six comics or whatever the number shakes out to be. That's my list of Star Trek stories. And it's the same will. They all, maybe they don't, maybe they're not compatible with each other. The novel Federation is not compatible with Star Trek canon, but it's still one of my very favorite novels ever for Star Trek. Um, Vendetta, which is a book that Peter David wrote way back in the day. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Um, awesome. Not awesome. a compatible with, with what we now know, mm-hmm. with, you know, data's origin stuff, but it's still a first rate Star Trek story. And then, I mean, even beyond Star Trek, I mean, you know, Raise the Titanic is a ripping adventure yarn that is one of my all time favorite books, even though we know that it could never happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, War of the Worlds. Hey, great story. Too bad Mars doesn't have any aliens living on it, but it's still a cool story. <laughs> So I'm, how do you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I just I don't I don't understand why people get so wrapped around the actual. It's like unless you're writing the show or writing a licensed tie-in, it shouldn't matter to you. If you right. like it, then it's in your head canon. You know, accept it. That's what I do. Bill, you uh, you mentioned that it doesn't matter where the the story comes from as long as it's a good story. And you you referred to you know books or comic books or games. You wouldn't be happen to be talking about the Star Trek: The Strategic Operations Simulator. <laughs> that is totally canon in my head. <laughs> now, now, Dan, I'm going to let you in on a little inside baseball here. At the end of the last episode of Trek Geeks, Dan flubbed the name, and oh. I guarantee you, he was just reading it off a screen right now. Because he still doesn't know that name. <laughs> Math is hard. What can I say? You son of a. <laughs> b- <laughs> I actually, we actually slipped a reference to the story, the storyline, and I say that in quotes. The game storyline, we actually slipped that into a Star Trek story we wrote, Kevin and I wrote years ago. Like the, oh like God. you know, the idea of it. Like a, we called, it, we actually did call it an academy training simulator. But we said, you know, you know yeah, we, we, and, but people picked up on the reference. We didn't call it that. We didn't call it by its name, but we made enough references that people go, you're talking about the arcade game. Like, yes, we are. You know? <laughs> well, Sega just time traveled and, and borrowed it for their 80s video game. I mean, that's really what it comes yeah, down to. That's exactly right. Somebody traveled back in time and left an isolinear optical chip laying in Sega's headquarters. <laughs> so, I'll buy it. I'll buy it in a second. I'll buy that for a dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 
Dayton, what do you got on the uh, on the uh, forefront? What's coming up next for you, uh, if anything, um, that we can look forward to in the coming months? Uh, I am working on a few projects at the moment, um, I, but they have not been formally announced, so I can't really ah. dive into too much detail about them. Okay. Uh, the only thing that I'm that I've let's see, well, that's not entirely true. I'm working on some stuff that I can't announce, but I've also done some stuff that I can talk about that's not Star Trek. Um, yeah, I did a short story for an anthology called Footprints in the Stars, which is all about human interaction with evidence of alien life. Not necessarily a first contact situation, but like they find an alien artifact or something like that. I wrote a story for that. Um, it's being published by a small press publisher called eSpec Books, uh, and it'll be out in July, I think. It'll be in time for the Shorely Convention in July. Uh, I wrote an essay, Kevin and I wrote an essay together for an essay of uh, reviews and commentary about the first season of the 66 Batman show. Uh, nice. So Kevin and I took on the two part story where the Joker tries to corrupt the high school kids, you know, and you know how crazy the Batman 66 storylines were. So there was totally. So the idea of trying to find something worth writing about in a commentary slash analytical research, you know, fashion just was, yeah, there was a lot of drinking that day. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'm working on. I'm working on. Uh, I'm still waiting on Inside Editions. Um, they kind of pushed back the publication date for it, but the Kirk Fu book that I talked about. Oh, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, yeah. It's still. It's now slated for March of 2020. But uh, I turned oh. that manuscript in a year ago, and so they're they're um, they're it's on their docket for next spring. But uh, still okay. looking forward to that one. I was hoping to have it for this year. But uh, they pushed it back for reasons that I still don't quite understand. <laughs> well, these things happen, you know. Um, so, so, and and you also have a tie in to Star Trek Adventures, right? Because we now have a a Star Trek Adventures gameplay podcast on YouTube, hosted by our good friend Dan Garcia. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, it's called uh, Trek Geeks Game Night. Uh, it's the the adventures of the crew of the USS Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are playing the game and they're doing it on uh, roll 20 and we're, we're capturing the video and putting it on YouTube, uh, about once a month right now and, and probably, um, sooner than that later on. So, um, oh, that's cool. I, I, yeah, you, you I, live on. I had some involvement in the early going. Um, I helped flesh out a storyline for what they were calling the living campaign. Mm. Uh, so all that stuff about the Shackleton expanse and, uh, oh, yeah. uh that was all me and Scott Pearson. Uh, oh, very cool. We, we came up with that storyline and, and all the th- and, and the, the backdrop for the things that the different teams are, are fighting, you know, the different crews are coming up against. We laid out a very broad roadmap for the for the for the folks who are actually writing scenarios to play around in. And my understanding is I guess they're going to collect some of that material into a hardcover book. I think they're going to offer as a supplement to the core. Nice. Book. Cool. And um uh, there, I may, I may not be done with Star Trek Adventures just yet. Nice. Uh, more on that as appropriate. <laughs> well, we may have to bring you into the uh, crew of the Hathaway to upend their mission someday. Um, the the book is available light. It's uh, available from Gallery Books and uh, Gallery Books and imprint of Sh- Simon and Schuster. I can't talk today. I've got Dan Davidson disease, <laughs> and the. The author is the lovely and, and, and very talented Dayton Ward, although the lovely part is called into question. Uh, Dayton, it's so great to have you here on the show. Uh, where can people stalk you, find you online? You can stalk me all you want at DaytonWard.com, and you can enter in vague search references and, 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 and pornographic search <laughs> references. Apparently, it will bring you to my website. 
Um, I don't know why that is, but hey, you know. Love, oh, I do. The wacky world web. <laughs> so, so DaytonWar.com is my one-stop shopping for uh, internet banality. Come find me. It'll have links to everything. Blog, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and various places where I crop up doing guest writing from time to time. Well, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back sometime very soon, uh, provided that uh, our internet search histories aren't called into question. Yeah, or we're all arrested by DHS. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dan, once again, we thank Dayton Ward for coming by Trek Geeks and and talking about Available Light with us, I truly love this book, and I can't wait to pick up the next one in the series when that's available from David Mack. Um, I just, I'm going to be all in on novels, and uh, I guess it's a good thing I got a lot of time in the car. Yeah, these two guys have done such a brilliant job with Star Trek stories over the years, and I like how they collaborate as much as they do on them. Available Light was great. Dayton is always so much fun to have on the show. It's always great to talk about the strategic operations simulator at the same time. So it's a win-win for me, buddy. I don't know about you, but yeah. I'm just amazed you got the name right this time. I got it written down. I'm never going (laughs) to. You're honest. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely go pick up a copy of available light, read it, um, it, or the audiobook, which, which is what I consumed, uh, read by Robert Peckoff. It is unabridged. So you get the complete book and it's a story that's told very well. It held my interest for you know, however many hours that I spent in the car. Um, and I just, I, like I said, I can't wait to consume the next one. I'm very excited about it. Um, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say your your attention span is usually not that great, so um, uh, that's very impressive that you were able to get that uh, the whole unabridged version uh, on audio to keep your attention. That means that just must mean it's really really good. I'm sorry, who are you? Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought you would say. <laughs> Dan, of course, we also have to thank Five Year Mission. You know, we use their music each and every episode of Trek Geeks, and. It's, it's part of the reason why this podcast sounds the way it does. It, it adds so much more character and, well, great tunes. Um, we own all their albums. We want everyone to do the same thing. Head on out to 5 Buy some CDs. You know, Download some MP3s. Uh, but let's support the band and show them how much we love them. Every one of their songs is a, an original look at an episode from the original star Trek. And it really makes you look at these episodes in a different way. It's part of the reason why I love it so much. And I know you do too, Dan, but that's five year mission.net. Please download all their music. Go get those CDs. I think that maybe the guys of five year mission should create a song called Farkism. You think that might be a possibility? Maybe in the uh, year five Kickstarter. Ah, but you know, when, when you have Farkisms as good as the ones that, are, that have been coming out lately, I mean, it just makes sense. Like, like this week's bill, I watched a classic episode this week. Absolutely classic. It is the battle of good versus evil of right versus wrong. Classic music versus rock music. You know, Kirk and Spock team up with president Lincoln and Serac and battle the forces of evil of Patrick, Noah, Mike, and Chris, and the lives of the crew of the Enterprise hang in the balance. Those pesky ex-Calvians, Bill. Gosh, causing all that trouble in the classic year three episode, The Savark Curtain. It is a great episode. You got to check it out. Don't exhale like that. It's just a 
Savfark curtain. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Are you even trying? <laughs> are, are, are you, seriously, are you even trying Savfark? Savfark. See, all that makes me think of is, is Savoir Faire is everywhere. Um, that's just silly. That's a deep cut reference for you right that's, there. That is very deep cut, but it's still silly. Um, I, but but, that, but that's how horrible your title is. Patrick, Noah, Mike, and Chris are the bad guys. You know, help me, Kirk. You know, I could see I could see Noah doing that right now. I I, I could. Now can he cry like Farkin? <laughs> help me, no, James. Stay back. <laughs> dun dun dun. Uh, Sapphire curtain, yes. Yeah, yeah. Fiveyearmission.net, everybody. That horrible farkism aside, please don't let that deter you from downloading all their music and uh, <laughs> and buying some swag over there at fiveyearmission.net. Dan, uh, of course, we want people to know that they can support the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to exclusive bonus content via Patreon, get access to content not available anywhere else, see the first of our annual supporters pins. I got to tell you, I am hard at work designing the year two supporters pin, which will also be produced by fansets. Mm -hmm. Very excited about that. Plus, don't forget, you can get raw, unedited audio of all of our podcasts, along with a whole bunch of other perks. Absolutely. And we want to take a moment here to thank our associate producers of Trek Geeks. We are very grateful for their support. And they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, and the beautiful and gracious Andy Fark. So beautiful, so gracious. Yeah, baby. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, and the lovely and talented Scott Vashon. If you'd like to become a producer on the network or even get access to the raw audio for Trek Geeks episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today, where subscription levels start as low as $1 a month. Dan, next week here on the flagship, there be whales here. Where? Boba Fett? What? Huh? I'm sorry. Yes, Bill. Are you? Are you? Um, are you sorry? Um, I am very sorry that I signed up for this. Yes, Bill. Next week, you and I will be deep diving. Get it? Deep diving into the one with the whales. Spock is alive. Spock is acting weird. A giant toilet paper tube with a shiny ball hanging from it is threatening Earth, and the crew has to travel back into the 1980s so some whales can be saved from nuclear vessels or something like that. Anyway. We're going to talk about Star Trek for the Voyage Home next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Of course, Dan, for more great Star Trek podcasts, we want everyone to head on over to the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. So many podcasts. So I, little time. So so little time. I mean, they guarantee to have something for everybody over there. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek show, we want everyone to check out Trek News. For now, this has been episode number 179 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. And I'll talk to you later, buddy, 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 because I've got a bunch of quarters here, and I'm going to go play Star Trek, the Strategics Coconut Simulator. Bye. Oh, I hope I'll I'll add quarters if you go away for a long period of time. (laughs) Welcome aboard, Coconut. 
Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong! Before we start, I have to tell you something very quickly. We need to get a chipper on the beach. I need a chipper on the beach, Bill. Get to the chopper. Get it. Chopper. Pipper. Pipper? Pipper? Hi. What's up, man? Bipper? Bipper. Well, he doesn't speak good English anyway, so. Bipper's on a jeech? Bipper on, yeah. If he's, and if he's not careful, he might get, like, uh, drop kicked in the back, Mr. Like, Arnold. <laughs> get to the jipper yeah oh that's beautiful i like that yep it's not a it's not a jipper (laughs) no it is actually that's right it is actually yeah and uh and i'm great i those jippers we had earlier um the ones for the fansets fan geeks party Mm -hmm. uh, that we were uh taste testing and creating and creating thanks well we didn't create them we just mixed them true brooke created we yes the official trek geeks mixologist brooke horton Congratulations! You said it right. You couldn't say it right all during the video. I now have a jipper in my system. <laughs> the world is right. Good, good. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's it's going to be a great time. Uh, we did have somebody ask you to order a jipper as Arnold. Yes, we um, did. so that's why you've you've done that. Um, I, I got to say, the jipper was very easy to make, much even easier to drink. Very easy. I I will say. Got to put ice in it next time. I think better, you know, so it's nice and cold. The color was fantastic. Uh, the The pineapple flavor was great. Um, it was it was good. Uh, Brooke, uh, thank you. Um, it was awesome, and I'm gonna have some in Vegas. Well, I think that even if you serve it in a chilled glass, mm. like a martini glass, yep. you might not need the ice. Okay, I'm just gonna throw that out there. I'm also gonna throw this out there. I still have half a bottle of hypnotic or hypnotique whichever you want to do. I got a three or four cans of pineapple juice. Got that thing, a club soda, got some lime juice. Guess what I'm going to be making later this week. As, uh, you better pick up some blue curacao uh, or I, you're not going to be making anything. I got, I got some blue curacao too. I forgot that one, but I have some of that too. So I'm ready to go. You're going to be jippering all over the place. <laughs> or blue curacao, as I was saying. No, curacao. I like the curacao. It's kind of. Of all the the islands, Ah. (laughs) (laughs) of all the islands I went to on my last cruise, uh, Aruba and Curacao were two of my favorites. Um, Curacao was just, it was the culmination of a childhood dream to go there. And it was awesome. I was just going to throw a, of all the islands I've been to in my travels. That was the most blue (laughs) and sorry. Couldn't help it. Actually, the, The colors of the buildings in Curacao are actually quite vibrant. Really? Yeah. By design. Now, now, tell me, because I, as I said in the video today, I'm not. I didn't even know there was an island called Curacao. Where is it? If I'm looking at a map, where am I going to see it? It's in the southern Caribbean, hmm. and uh, unlike some of the other islands of the Caribbean, it and, and uh, Aruba and um, uh, I can never remember the B in the ABC islands. Um, Barbados. Uh, I don't believe it is, but I'd have to look it up. But they usually don't get hit by hurricanes. Ah. Um, the the path usually takes it away from them which is great just because of the way the the trade winds are gotcha 
All right. Well, that's good. That's good for uh, filtering and distilling and making blue and orange or green or whatever curacao you want to make. That's uh, Bonaire. Sorry, that's the B in the ABC Islands. I haven't heard of that one either. Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao. Aruba is the only place I've been to out of those three, and it was fabulous. They lie just north of Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, great. A little geography lesson at Trek Geeks. That doesn't happen very often. No, not often. Yeah. Um, but uh, if you ever get the chance, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Curacao is a w- beautiful, beautiful island. I'd love to go down there with Sue and uh, and have a nice vacation on those type of islands. I think that'd be great. That's part of the reason we love cruising, because you can pack once and stop three or four places. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Excellent. Thanks for the tip, pal. It's the Bill Smith Trek Geeks travel log here on the flagship. Uh, I like that. Flagship is a great word. Isn't Your it? face is a flagship. I thought you were going to say my face is a great word, but I'll take that. Need the one. No, I would never have said that. I know you wouldn't have. I don't think anyone would. I, I There might be a fan or two out there who might. Please uh, email me at dan at trekgeeks.com. No, please. <laughs> okay, you know what? I got another cold last week, you know, because I worked from home several days because I had such a horrible cough. I got that yeah. cough that I had for like six effing months back. It's driving me crazy. Hmm. Yeah, because you're you've muted and you're coughing right now. Yes, I uh, was. Damn it. Uh, when we have the conversation with Dayton, I was muting all throughout that conversation yeah. like every couple of minutes. Yeah. If I wasn't talking, I was muted, and more often than not, I was coughing. And it's just this allergy season for me has been horrible. It's, it's I sound like Nina Blackwood half the time. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, if only you looked like her, because Nina's a beautiful lady. I I haven't seen a picture of her since the MTV days, so I'm I'm gonna have to check it out. Get it. Well, today I was thinking of you as I was watching TOS. Oh, very, very nice. Why, 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 why? I was watching Gamesters of Triskelion. Oh, yes, you were. Yes, you were. That's a good episode. I have a love for that episode. I know. I do. We're actually going to be doing that episode just before Vegas this mm-hmm. year on Trek Geeks in a few weeks. It does have gambling in it. It, uh, it does actually. Sense, we yeah. figured it was a great tie-in to Vegas. Yep. There's gaming. There's um. There's death. There is. Yeah. That, that's always a possibility. That, that's Vegas. Yeah. There's an ugly bald guy. Yeah. That, well, he's not with that a funky ugly. collar. He, uh, he ugly. He not ugly. He's a yeah. fine-looking man. No, he's not. He's ugly. All right. Okay. All right. Well, um, I will you'll, say, I'm you'll very, be perfect for him. Thank you. Very excited. My galt. Master Thrall collar arrived this past Friday. And Tim from Impact did a phenomenal job on it. It looks fantastic. The it lights up. It's great. I cannot wait, man. I cannot wait. I started working on the big red thingy on the back of his cloak this weekend. Uh not coming along too good, but I'm gonna keep trying. <laughs> so now, refresh my memory. So, Tim Vitito and mm-hmm. Lisa Hansel, who are the makeup supervisors on Star Trek Continues, are they also yes. doing your makeup that day? They are. Yeah. Nice. Lisa's, Lisa's going to do the makeup. Um, and I, I actually, I, it's funny, I sent her a, um, a message on, on Facebook just the other day. I said, so I got a question for you. Um, will you be able to hide my eyebrows or should I just shave them off? Because <laughs> I would have. And she goes, oh, no, we can hide them for you. I would have shaved them off. That's, I'm into it, baby. Because I realized, looking at pictures of Mr. Ruskin, that he 
doesn't have any eyebrows when he's golf. So I would have mm. taken them off. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Tim and Lisa did a fantastic job hiding half of my eyebrows mm-hmm. when I did Vulcan ears yep. and eyebrows back during uh, uh, STLV 50. Yeah, the scant. Uh, yeah, the scant cosplay. So they kept maybe, I think it was closer to like a, uh, just uh, between a third and one half of my eyebrow and the rest of it was just covered and you, you couldn't tell the difference. I did not know that it was covered in latex or whatever when you told me that the other day and I was shocked. I didn't know that. So they'll probably do the same thing with me yeah. and uh, I can't wait. I'm going to have that glittery white look. I'm going to trim my goatee and my mustache. My mustache is going to be completely frigged up for this thing, but it's going to be worth it. Anybody who knows, t- pull up a picture of Galt to see how weird that mustache he has is. I'm shaving my mustache to look like that for, for that day. Now, when I saw the episode earlier today, it looked like his goat or his, his facial hair was black with gray in it. Are yeah. you going to dye it twice? Or are you just going to go with it? as? A- I might just go with it as, as much gray as I have right now. I was thinking about dyeing it dark and leaving a little gray splatches in it, but I may just, I may just leave it as the gray as it is right now, which is a lot of Damn, that's a lot of gray in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at myself in the camera, and there's a lot of gray in there. That's M. That's Rebecca. That's M. That's Rebecca. That's Bill, 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 Rebecca, M. That's all. Yeah, nobody's buying that. (laughs) Nobody's buying that at all. It's just age, baby. (laughs) Yeah, because you're you're old. I am. So you ready to do this there, jerk face? I am. Let's do it. (laughs) All right, let's do it up. You got it.